Sunday. Well, we greet you in the name of the Lord. It's, it's resurrection morning. It's, it's great to be here. Glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you in the name of Christ. And we do this every week. We a little bit, little bit extra today. But every week we're here to, to lift up Christ and to, and, and to proclaim the, the good news of the Word of God. We're ending a, a, a series on the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel of the New Testament today, and looking at chapter 20. Next week we'll start a series on, on the Word of God, the Scriptures, and why we believe the Scriptures are, are, are God has spoken to us. We have a few, a few a sermon series on that theme to, to strengthen our confidence that indeed our God has given us Holy Scripture. Today we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And I want to talk today about, about the theme of peace. The theme of peace is, is in this passage. And um, as we look around us in our world, there's a very serious lack of peace. This week, of course, just early this week, we were all startled. Again, another terrorist event in Brussels, Belgium. Terrorism seeks to disturb our peace, to, to upset our sense of safety and security. Peace is hard to find in the world. Nationally, I think about the current political climate, and we see angry political rhetoric in candidate debates in the traditional media and the social media, and, and this has even led to physical confrontations, lack of peace in the political world. Peace is hard to find. We think of just the very disturbing economic situation of our country, the reality that many, many people, young people, old people, black people, white people, educated people, uneducated people, religious people, irreligious people, all have, are, are struggling economically, it seems. So many are. Finding a job, keeping a job, having a job that meets fully their needs. Many have no hope and simply live day by day, hoping have a few moments of fun, a few moments of pleasure, of joy in a meaningless world, a troubling world. Peace is hard to find. It seems that everybody is uptight and on edge. You sense that? But I want you to remind you of something. What the prophet said, the prophet Isaiah, and we, we celebrate this during Advent season. There were four things he said about the one to come, the prophet to come, that he would be, Isaiah 9, 6, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. The everlasting Father. And what was that fourth one? The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Philippians, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace of God that the Prince of Peace wants us to experience. Ephesians chapter 2, in the context of of the Jews and Gentiles being brought together in the gospel, Paul says, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The barrier between uh, uh, Jews and Gentiles, between divided people, has been ab abolished by Jesus. There's, there's, there's a peace, there's a reconciliation that we can experience, peace from God through Christ. And Paul said later, elsewhere, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the peace of God, we have peace from God, and we have peace with God because of the Prince of Peace and what he has done and what he continues to do in the lives of his people. 
Pastor Dave, we're talking about peace. The risen Savior. Jesus reminds us that he is this Prince of Peace. And, and let's stand together and listen to John chapter 20, 19 to 31. Stand together. You have it on the overhead. You have it in an ESV Bible. It's in your hands as I read John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. They are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. And you may be seated. Peace from a risen Savior. Peace from the risen Savior. I believe believing in the risen Christ should bring peace to our lives. In a world looking for peace, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, should bring peace to our lives. The Gospel of John is organized around the seven I am's. We haven't been talking a lot about the I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the, uh, 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 the light. The I am's. I am the living water. There's also around the signs, the different signs he did. The sign of the wedding of Cana, of, of, of the turning the water into wine. The sign of healing. Of that. We've talked about those. We've flowed through the various signs. And this is the ultimate sign in our passage today. The ultimate sign of who he is, pointing to who he is. The Gospel of John, the last, from chapters 12 to 21, it's all in the last week of Jesus' life. Chapter 12 to 21, almost half the book deals with Passion Week and events after that, the resurrection events, post-resurrection events. In verses 13 to 16, there's the upper room, all the dialogue that Jesus had with his disciples, giving them instructions, instructions as he was about to leave. In chapter 17 is this prayer, Jesus, his priestly prayer to his father. Then came the arrest, suffering, mocking, the beating, the death on a cross, the burial. And then chapter 20, verse 1, as we heard the scripture, the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know that in the, gospel, the, very, the four gospel accounts, Jesus has there's several uh, resurrection day appearances, and we heard a few of them. At, the, at dawn, of course, the stone was rolled away, this great, huge stone. Who moved that stone? One person could do it. The women couldn't do it. Two, who moved this? How was it moved? It's one of the great, great uh, apologetic uh, things about uh, the resurrection story. Mary Magdalene 
the other Mary, Joanna, Salome, the, uh, Peter, and John. They were witnesses that he was alive. He came to them. There was this, that incredible uh, uh, walk to the Emmaus Road, two disciples there. who he, he walked and talked with them, and he unfolded the scriptures to them, and their heart burned as he heard him talk about the Old Testament, which pointed towards him. And then at dinner time, when they saw his hands, they knew it was him, and he was God. Luke chapter 24. We want to look at the fact that peace comes when we experience the presence of the risen Christ. When we understand even and embrace who this Christ is, his unique person. And then when we trust his promise, the promise that he gives in the scriptures, particularly in the end of this chapter. Peace comes when we experience the power, the powerful presence of Christ. Verses 19 to 23, the first three, uh, four verses of the chapter. Now, again, in, in, in verse 19, it's, it's Sunday, it's the evening, it's Sunday evening of that day, and the first day of the week, um, the doors were locked, and the disciples were there, locked doors for fear of the Jews. I mean, they, came, they, they, they killed John the Baptist, they killed Jesus, their Savior. They were scared. They were afraid that the Jews were coming after them next. That was... And so the doors are locked. And Jesus comes and he stands among them. Peace be with you. It's a miracle, folks. This is a miracle. In a lot of, you know, there's several ways people look at this. Some say that it was a miracle because the door was locked and poof, puff, Jesus came through the door. He had a different kind of body. Others believe that the miracle was in the, the miraculous opening of the door from the, that was locked on the inside. Whatever it was, somehow he got in there. And somehow they said, wow, and they were glad, they rejoiced, they were amazed. And he says, peace, he calls it peace because, because they needed the peace because they didn't know who was coming in. Who is this? It's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so he makes this first peace statement in that upper room to calm their confusion, to calm their being disturbed, their being fearful. He had already promised uh, earlier to give them peace in the world. John 14, 27, peace, my peace, I leave with you. I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He knew what was coming, times of trouble, times of anxiety for them as they would see him die and experience that fear. Then John, the, verse moves on, the chapter moves on, verse 20. Look at, what, look at verse 20. He gives him assurance. He shows him his hand and his side. They were glad when they saw, yes, this is the Lord. One commentator said, um, these wounds com were completely healed, but his scars remained to demonstrate the reality of his resurrection. So they could see the wounds, but they were, they were just signs of former scars that had been there. One, another uh, commentator says um, about the fact that he showed him his hands inside, that this implied, there's a lot implied in that statement. Let me read this. The person standing in the midst of this little circle is really Jesus. He's not someone else. The marks in his hands where the nails have been and the wound in his side identify him. This person has a real body. He has hands. He shows his side, probably his left side. He's not a phantom or ghost, which they thought. It was not only the spirit of Christ that had risen from the grave, but the body also. This was really a bodily resurrection. The, the peace pronounced on the disciples, pronounced not only but actually given, was real peace. It had been bought at such a price. Let the disciples look at his hands and look at his side and then let them meditate and let them 
a door. And that's what we're trying to do today. To look and to meditate and just, and just feel what they felt that indeed the one they'd seen crucified was now This was their leader. This was the rabbi. This was their master, the crucified, risen Messiah, the son of the living God before their very eyes. Skeptics talked about the resurrection and several say that, you know, he never really died. He didn't die on that cross. And so, of course, he could walk around. Skeptics looking back say that, but no one during that day could say that. Anyone who saw his death and and knew about his death, it was clearly evident that he had died. They, the spear in his side after he, what he'd been through. The, they put him in a tomb and wrapped him, and he's there for days. He was shown off, dead. Other skeptics will say, oh, he was dead, but some, some, somebody stole the body. It's, it's, it's the unbelieving crowd knew, or even the believing crowd, the, the disciples, if they knew that somewhere there was a, a, a dead body of Jesus, I think at some point, as Peter and John are proclaiming the resurrection, someone would say, would throw a red flag and say, time out. Bring the body, please. Bring, bring, bring that body. It never happened. In fact, what happened? These disciples who were fearful were martyred, eventually, ultimately, to believe this, this, this gospel because it was true. They knew if there had been a body somewhere, they would have said, no, I'm not dying for this. I'm not dying for a lie. They had seen him. He was alive. Verses 20 and 21, as, as they continue, um, <clears throat> they were amazed, excited. And, and so he says peace. And this word peace is a rich word in the, in the Hebrew culture. This is the Greek language, but the Hebrew culture is the translation from the Hebrew. It's, it's, a, it's a word of blessing and harmony and wholeness and well-being and favor. And, and fullness of joy, may it be upon you and upon yours. And here he makes this peace statement to them who are very disturbed and very surprised. The presence of Jesus brings the peace of God, the shalom of God upon us. And we experience this presence in several ways. How do we in our day, how do we experience the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I, I, hope, I trust that as we gather in worship each week, you experience the presence of God. Maybe you're here for the first time today since this, the presence of God in a special way as, as we gather to lift up, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ who is worthy of our praise and adoration. I pray, I pray you, 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 your, your spirit is moved that God is truly doing something uh, uh, through this, this service of worship as we try to, to give him the honor that is due. Even as the, the truth of the word of God that he's given is proclaimed and as you read it and as you meditate upon it, you, you should experience the presence of, of God through his word as he speaks. Even on those Sundays when we celebrate the table of the Lord, the, 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 that special reminder of who we are before him, there's a presence there. It's a re, there's a remembrance there, yes. We remember what he did, but there's a presence there. Spiritually, he's there in the elements, giving us grace and, and, and helping us to, to, to love him and, and believe in him and trust him. We experience the presence of, of the Lord there. You know what Jesus also said in Matthew 24? That when we serve the needy, when we help those who are hungry have food, when we visit those who are in prison, when we clothe those who are naked, we, we, it's as if we are doing it to him. We experience the presence of God as we serve the needy, the least and the last and the lost. We experience the presence of God in special ways. 
Now, this passage is a particular element of the presence of God that I think is here. And this is just in, in, in mission, in, in proclamation. This, this is in John's gospel. This is his commission. This is, in the other gospels, he says, all authority is given to me, therefore go and I'll make disciples, chapter, uh, Matthew 28. I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a, there's a presence of God in mission. In the, in the book of Acts, the Spirit will come. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the rest of the world. The Spirit will come. The, 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 I will be with you in mission. This is John's commission. And as he breathes upon them and says, receive the Spirit, and then he sends them out to be, to, be, to be vessels of forgiveness in the world. Receive ye the Spirit, verses 22 and 23. Difficult verse. Look at verse 23. It's somewhat difficult. The translation is, is quite interesting in the various translations. NIV says this, those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven. That's the sense of it. That the church has the authority, as the word of God and the spirit of God dwelling among God's people, to, to, to establish where the, where the boundaries are. To say the word of God says this, and this is what we must believe. To say, if I believe this, then I am, then I am right with God. God, God, God gives the authority, he breathes on them, and, and it's passed down to the church through the ages. It's not that we are forgiving people, we are, we are acknowledging that heaven has forgiven people. That's what's going on in, in, in that verse 23. So Jesus breathes on them. Now, <clears throat> so this presence, this special presence, powerful presence of Jesus is what we're talking about. I want to introduce you to a man who I believe, in our, a young man who in our day I believe, it, it, um, reflects the powerful presence of Jesus, particularly because he's a role model, and some of you may not know about him. His name is Steph Curry. He's a basketball player with the Golden State Warriors. Anyone heard of Steph Curry? A few of you may have. I see a few hands. That's good. You, the guy on the left there is LeBron James. You've probably heard of him. They call him King James. I don't know why they call him King James. But, but King James, uh, who, is, who was, was the, the, supposedly the best basketball player in the world in the NBA, but Steph Curry, a couple years ago, has taken King James off the throne, as it were. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy, Steph Curry. <clears throat> um, his, dad's name, his dad was a pro, a pro player, a pretty good player named Del Curry. And uh, he, he rose to, to fame, and he actually, Del, Del went to Virginia Tech, where, where Pastor Craig went. And, and Steph actually wanted to go to Virginia Tech, but they said, nah, he couldn't get a scholarship. You're too slender, you're, you're not good enough. So he went to a school called Davidson in Carolina. Davidson, and then took David. He put Davidson on the map, and then he became a pro. Some teams bypassed him, but he became a pro. Was drafted, and uh, injuries a couple years ago, and so he didn't really. But then his career just began to take off, and he and he he became the best player on the, on his team, the, the Warriors. Then a couple years ago, they were in the, they were in the playoffs. He had a great playoff game, and so they were interviewing him. And here's what happened. You see that that right there? That's his little girl named Riley. Riley Curry. And during the interview, it, was, it reminds me of a scene in the Gospels. He's, he's trying to talk, and she's speaking to the microphone and acting silly. And the reporters are saying, why don't you put your kid down so we can ask you some questions? Well, when that happened, Twitter blew up. As people said, oh, she's such a cute kid. Shut that reporter up. Let, let's, and, and, and so because of Riley... His fame grew, began to grow, and his wife, uh, Ali, what can her name? Well, it starts with A. She, uh, they became fam- the family became famous as he became uh, uh, basically the best player in the league. They now have a, a, a second child. Um, 
What I want to tell you about is, is not just his ability in basketball. Next slide. He wears shoes. Every game he wears shoes with 413 on the shoelaces. And, uh, and it says, I can do all things. And he's quoting. Here's what he said about that in Adidas, his Adidas shoes, his Adidas contract. It represents a Bible verse I wear on my shoes, Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's also my mantra. How I get up for games and why I play the way I do. Stephon Curry, 6.3. He's a David among the, the Goliaths in the NBA uh, uh, games. He's become the best player in the world. Next slide. Steph Curry. When he makes a shot, he does this and that. Saying, I have a heart that wants to praise God. That's what he does. Next slide. There's more to me than just this jersey I wear. That's Christ living inside of me. That's his testimony. Next slide. Forget it. I have one slide. I thought it was up there. Anyway, that's just an example of, of a man who's a role model. Pray for him. He's not even 30 years old yet. And, and, and his, his image is blown up, and he wants to live his life to the glory of this God who, whose powerful presence in his life has already made a major difference. The second thing about this piece, this piece comes when we understand and embrace the unique person of Christ, who this person is. Who is this Christ? Verses 24 to 28. Now, first of all, Thomas, now we're not, we're not totally told specifically why he's absent that evening. We can only read between the lines. So let's do that. Who, who was he? In the list of the apostles, he's always linked with Matthew. And we know nothing of his vocation, where he, what he did, or his location, where he was from, or his salvation, how he met Jesus. We know nothing about that from the other Gospels. But unfortunately, he's always linked with the D word, doubting Thomas. You've heard he's doubting Thomas. Let me give you a couple other D words. I don't think, I don't think doubt, doubting says what we want to say about him. I think uh, he was first, he was a double. He was devoted. And in this passage, he's discouraged. Let's look at those three things. First, he's a double. It says, verse 24, he was the twin. He was a twin. That was his nickname among the 12. He was a twin. Didymus. Um, <clears throat> he's a double. If you have a Bible, turn uh, John eleven sixteen. We have it here, right here. But uh, there, we the first time we're introduced to him in the Gospel of John, it says, "So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him.'" Now, what's going on there? This is the passage about Lazarus who was sick, very sick, and Jesus is, it says we need to go to, 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 to Lazarus to see what's going on there, and, and Jesus is going to heal him. They were afraid to go there because it was very close to Jerusalem and the, the word was out. That they, they knew that the, the leaders were going to want to kill Jew, Jesus. And so they were afraid to go. Are we going to follow him to Bethany, which is close to, to Jerusalem? We might die there. Who steps up with courage? Who is it? It's the doubting man, quoted with Thomas. Let us also go. We may die with him. The second thing I want you to understand is he is a devoted disciple. He is devoted. He's devoted to Jesus Christ, no matter what. Uh, one commentator, Lockyer, uh, says, Thomas's attitude at this juncture in, in Christ's ministry was a sign of his attachment and his devotion to him and marks him as having a love both deep and strong as that of any disciple. His was a love that counted no sacrifice to and One of the bravest of the brave, he was willing to go into the very jaws of death in the company 
this Lord. So his devotion had no end as he proclaimed, let's go, let's follow him. If he's going to uh, uh, near Jerusalem, we can go to Jerusalem, even, even if it means death for us. This, this, we also see in this incident, and, and in that incident, uh, his tendency to become a little discouraged because let's go, let's die. He could have maybe had hope that they would get away. Even if we have to die, let, let's go with him. So he says, let's go with him even to death. Now, now, now Peter had strong courage. Peter, remember, wanted to go chop people's heads off. Um, but when the hour came, the hour of decision came, they all fled. Peter, Peter denied him three times. Judas hung himself, and, and all of them, including Thomas, they fled. And he was, though so devoted, now he was crushed. He was simply crushed, and he had to get away. He didn't want to be with the others. He wanted solitude in his grief, and he found it. He really found it. He found it so much that when the others were gathering, he was, they couldn't find him. He's the discouraged disciple at this point. But when he is finally found, when he shows up, and they tell him that Jesus showed up on Sunday evening, his reaction is, that's just too good to be true. In fact, he says, I'm not going to give myself to this too quickly. Verse 25, we see the challenge that Thomas has for the disciples. Look at verse 25. He says, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's the challenge. Nope, I'm not going to believe it. I want to see his hands, the hands, the same hands that turned and touched, uh, turned water to wine and touched lepers and healed them and touched a blind man and healed a blind man. I want to see those hands. The, the hands, that, the, the feet, the feet that were kissed by a sinful woman at Simon's house. I want to see those same feet. The side, the sign that John leaned on the last supper, that side. I want to see his hands, his feet, his side. Then I'll believe. So the next Lord's Day, <laughs> they gather, and Jesus shows up as they were hoping. As they were anticipating, he showed up again. Now, let's think, let's think about Thomas a little bit more, though. I want you to imagine that here at Faith, we had a, a Sunday service that was very different than other Sunday services. It, it was so different, uh, we had a report about some crazy things that happened at a retreat. And the reaction of our youth disciples and how God used them in great ways. And, and, and so we really took time to celebrate what God did. And, and the conclusion of all was that it was a mess, but God really showed up in power and strength, okay? And that's what, and that's what hurt on that Sunday. And so you, you go to your community group that week, and you missed Sunday. You weren't there, so I don't know where you were, but you missed it. God showed up, and you missed it. And so they tell you what happened. By the way, if you're, not, if you're a visitor, that this, is what, this has been our week at our church, by the way. That's another story. You, you, and so you're in a community group, your you're small group Bible study, and they're telling you that we had a great, we had a very interesting, different, and extraordinary showing up of the Lord in church Sunday. And, and I assume that because you have the integrity of, of your brothers and sisters, it sounds different, but it's not so crazy that you would not think it happened. 
you would say, okay, God must have shown up in some great ways on Sunday, and I guess I missed it. But that's not Thomas's experience. I want you to imagine that instead of them saying that some, we heard a great report, they told you in community group this week, and you weren't there, that on Sunday, somebody showed up who was a stranger, and he had nail scars. And he said, I am Jesus. What would you say? I have to tell you, I would not believe it. And maybe that's, it's not just because of the distance of time. It's just hard to believe that that really happened. So let, my point is, let's not be too hard on Thomas. He wants to see for himself, just as they saw for themselves, that indeed Jesus had shown up in miraculous power there in the upper room on that Sunday night. And so this was the miracle of miracles. This was the sign that was greater than all the signs, the culmination of all that Jesus had been doing. And Thomas wanted to be sure. He didn't want to be jerked around emotionally again. He was tired of that. So then verse 26, <laughs> Jesus shows up, and I believe he showed up just for Thomas. <laughs> okay, Thomas, here I am. Peace. Thomas, you can have peace, just like the others that have that peace. And he says in verse 1, you, you see me, there I am. touch me, listen, listen to me, hear me, touch my sides, it's really me, stop disbelieving and believe. And in verse 28, we see the great confession, the famous confession of Thomas, my Lord, my God. This is, this is, this is not just the, 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 the climax of, of this chapter, this is the climax of this book. John's purpose is to show us that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, the, the Word made flesh, the Word who created all things, the bosom of, the, of his Father. And this confession of Thomas is the climax of the book. Lord, the one who has authority over us, the master, the boss. What, why does he qualify as Lord? Because he is God. He's the very God. He's the maker. He's the creator, the one who owns all things because he's created all things. He's uniquely God, the second person of the Godhead, the Holy Trinity with the equality with God. Matthew, uh, John 5, 18, it says that Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God, making himself equal with God. John 5, 18. But don't miss the other word in, the, in this verse that pops up twice. He doesn't say, Thomas' confession isn't that, that, he, he's, that, that Jesus is the Lord and the God. It's not even that he is our Lord and our God. What does he confess? My Lord. My God. Well, that pronoun is important, isn't it? It implies I personally acknowledge it and want to follow him as Lord and as God. In Luke 6, Jesus said once, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? To call him Lord implies a submission, a commitment to obey, to do what he says, to, be, to let him be the one to rule your life. And so the confession of the church, uh, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart you believe and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name 
of the Lord will be saved. How do we call? Repenting and believing. Repenting, turning our mind and turning our heart. Changing our orientation towards God and towards his son. Believing, trusting, depending on him. Simply, It doesn't have to be in that order. It could be believing, repenting, repenting, believing. It doesn't matter. There's no formula. It's, it's the heart response to God. The last part of this, this passage is these last few verses, 29 to 31. It's about the eternal promise. Peace comes when we trust the eternal promise of Christ that we see in this text. Look at verse 29. What does it say? Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There's a blessing on those who, who, though they have not seen him, haven't touched him, haven't heard him with their own very eyes, they believe on the testimony of those who have. First John 1, the great passage, is, is the apost- talks about the apostolic uh, witness to, to, to the risen Lord. He says, I, I write these things so that you can have joy. Jesus doesn't show up to each one of us personally, does he, anymore? He showed up for them. The evidence is clear. And we have their testimony that he really was there. First John 1 says, uh, that which was from the beginning, uh, the one, the eternal one, which we've heard, seen with our own eyes, looked upon him, touched him, the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. That the evidence is clear. And then First Peter, kind of a shorthand version of this, kind of reminds us of the verse here in, in John. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Peter says in his letter. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible, filled with glory. You see, you can believe in this one even though you weren't there in the first century. The message is passed down. And here we are, centuries later, worshiping this Jesus Christ on the, on the basis of what we can see, what we can read from the word of God, from his, the apostles who have written that down for us, his anointing. Then the last verses, a couple of verses, verses 30 and 31. Here's the, the purpose of the book, this book of signs. Three words, believe, life, Jesus' name. Those three concepts, believe, life, Jesus' name. Believe, you, know, you might say believe and get everlasting life, and that's a great promise, but are you sure? What evidence, what, there, there's hindrances to believing. Some people have great strong hindrances to, to really fully buying this gospel for themselves, to saying, my Lord and my God. Some people want more hard evidence, and that's good. It's good to have evidence. Our belief is not, our faith is not a faith without uh, evidence, but don't think you have to have all the evidence in order to, for, before you can believe. There's evidence enough. In fact, John says, we could write all kinds of things, more things about Jesus, the last book of John, but these are enough. These are written that you might believe. Some people, they, they hesitate to believe because life's just tough. They don't believe that this gospel can help them through the tough things of life, through the storms of life. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also, believe also in me. We heard a testimony earlier in our service of Sister Adrian. Wonderful testimony. I hope you listened carefully. She didn't say you believe in Jesus and all will be, all will be right. Did, she, did you hear that? No, she didn't say that. She shared some storms from her life. Because that's reality. That is reality. Overwhelmed by the storms of life. We don't say that when you come to Jesus, there'll be no storms. We say that when you come to Jesus, you will have someone with you in the storm, an anchor in the midst of the storms of life who can carry you. 
Some people, they, they, their hesitation is because there's just, the church is so imperfect. There's so much hypocrisy, hypocrisy in the church, and, and the people in the church, they don't seem to have the peace that they're talking about. Well, you know, the church, church folk are just like other folk. We, we have our problems. Amen? And yet, Jesus says he offers this peace to us, this peace to us that's, that's available to us, to all people. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And the ultimate peace is the peace uh, at that point when, when, when we breathe our last breath and enter into eternity. And he says, in, in my Father's house are many rooms. I, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. It's a great promise to his disturbed disciples who, 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 who don't have peace because he's leaving. And then the passage goes on, you know the way to where I'm going. And then our friend Thomas said to him, well, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Here comes one of the, the I am statements of Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Here we are, life, this very important word in John's gospel. Life. Life, in John. Chapter, the first chapter, the fourth verse, speaking of Jesus, the word made flesh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life is in Jesus. Life is simply, in, in God, John's gospel, it's being connected to Jesus, the source of life. That's what life is. It's being connected to Jesus, who's the author of life. He's the one who gives life. And his promise is a life that's eternal, eternal life. Now, that eternal life is... It, that way, don't think of that in temporal sense. Think of that in a relational sense. It's a relational word. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that, you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. In our, in our yard, we have um, a tree. We used to have two trees, magnolia trees. Right now, they're, they're blooming. They're, the, the, the buds are there. And when we purchased the house years ago, uh, when we first drove up to the house, um, it had what they called curb appeal because these things were blooming. They bloomed for about uh, three, four weeks, and then they're gone. But they got us at the right time. Uh, beautiful, beautiful visual as we, as we drove in. We, we were almost sold on the house before we even walked into it. Um, we used to have two trees. Now we only have one tree. I'll tell you why. Next slide. That's, that's what the yard looks like right now. Oh, these petals all over the ground. This beautiful tree, and then they fall, and, they, and, you gotta, and so in the fall, I rake leaves, and in the spring, I rake petals. <laughs> but here's the point. Why every spring do the, does, it, do the, does this tree, do, do, do the petals bloom? Why? Because they're connected to the source of life. The root system isn't dead. And when your root system has life, when you're connected to your root system, you can experience life. Sometimes in your faith, you feel like it's dead, but stay connected to the root system. Stay connected to Jesus. John 15, he talks about that. Stay with me, remain in me, abide in me, and I in you. You can bear much fruit. talks about that. Life is staying connected to the source of life. And it's all in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The last phrase, believing in the name of Jesus. Again, back in the first chapter, what did he say? To all who believe, who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's believing. Believing in his name. He comes full of grace and truth. You ever been to the ocean? I'm sure most of you have probably been to an ocean. Um, 
picture of the Atlantic Ocean. Atlantic Ocean. Every time I'll go off, but when I've gone, at times I've gone, I've, I've thought about, you know, if I look that way, point that way, and somewhere over there is Africa, and somewhere over there is probably Europe. It is Europe, somewhere eventually. And the vastness of the ocean just boggles the mind when you think about it. Some of you have probably flown over it. I have not flown over it yet. Um, oceans are incredible. Um, I, I think about how, how difficult it is to, to, trans, to, to, to go from one part of the, side of the ocean to the other side of the ocean. You know, there's a lot of ways of doing it nowadays with air flight, but I want to talk about three different ways that you can go over the ocean. I want to make a spiritual connection parable here. The first way that you can go, or you can try to go, is the next slide. That's by swimming. This is your own effort. I'm going to get to the, uh, there's, a, there's a land over there, I'm going to keep, I'm going to swim to it. I'm not sure that'll be very successful. You can give a lot of energy that way. The second way you can maybe try to get to the ocean is to get a rowboat and get oars and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to row my way across the ocean. The problem with those first two is that I'm not sure you're going to make it because it's a big ocean. And yet you're going to give, you can give all the effort you want. And here's, here's the interesting thing about those two efforts, those two methods. Some will get farther than others through their own effort, but, he, but, but none will hit the mark. But there's a third way. It's a third way to get across the ocean in my, in my parable. An ocean liner. Not the kind we see on the news where they have all these problems. This is my parable. An ocean liner. Where you, you, just, you just hop on board and, 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 and just trust the guide to get you there. See, that whole, the ocean liner is, is, is Jesus. The ocean liner is, is the gospel. It's the grace of God. And, it, and, and the reason you get from the Atlantic to Africa or the Atlantic to Europe isn't because you're rowing or swimming. It's because you're in the right spot. You're on the ship of grace. And grace takes you there. How can we have confidence about that? How can we know that's true? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, amen? And he is alive. He is Lord. He's my Lord, and he's my God. And we can trust him, and anyone who calls in the name of the Lord can be saved. Let's pray. Well, the gospel is so simple. The church, sometimes we make it more complicated. We know the church isn't perfect. Well, we know the, 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 the church sometimes makes it feel like you've got to get on the boat with oars yourself. But that's not true. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the one who carries us from here to eternity. Jesus is the one in whom we trust, in whom we put all of our hope and our souls. If there are people here today who've never made that step of faith, I trust they would understand it's the, simpl- the simpleness of doing that. It's not hard. Look, there may be some who are, who are still thinking about it. They're not sure. They need more evidence. They need, to, they need to think through this more. May they do that. May they talk to whoever brought them. But thank you, Lord, that in Jesus' name we have hope for eternal life. It's, it's, it's simple, and it's his name. Use this message, Lord, to strengthen our faith and maybe to give some of us faith in the name of Christ. Amen.